I think one of the most important things that we can do is educate ourselves, um, not only as, as white people like myself, but um, as part of a, um, you know, a church like the Coptic Orthodox Church, um, how we can think about uh, racism in American society um, as not only affecting um, uh, black folks, but also affecting our communities as well. Right. So just because somebody within the Coptic community hasn't experienced uh, personal racism, it doesn't mean that others have not in the case of Romani, in the case of Azul Karas and many others. Um, and other Middle Eastern Christians in the United States have experienced uh, discrimination. Welcome to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. This is a conversation about authentic Christian faith, Coptic history, patristic writings, the family, arts and music, religious education, youth matters, evangelism, and much more. Bishop Suriel likes his coffee like he likes his conversation, light, sweet, and scorching. We'll be joined by an array of guests who'll share their experiences, their backgrounds, and their insights to bring about an exciting discussion, and we hope you agree. Enjoy the podcast, and please welcome our host, Bishop Suriel. As we're joined by Dr. Candace Lukasik in an episode titled Copts and Race in America, here's His Grace and our special guest, Your Grace. Irini Pasi, peace be with you. Welcome back to a new episode, and today my guest is Dr. Candace Lukasik. And many of you will remember her from episode 13 when we discussed Coptic immigration in the USA and Canada. Well, today I want to have a conversation with Candace around Copts and race in America. Welcome back, Candace, to the podcast, and it is a delight to have you with us again. And I hope you have some coffee ready, because I think this is going to be a subject that is not often discussed and has some unfortunate and sad situations that have occurred that we all need to understand and analyze. Candace? Yes, um, thank you so much for having me, Saidna. Um, I am very excited to talk about this today, and you are correct that this is a topic that is not usually talked about um, in our communities. Um, and I'm very interested to really take seriously the predicaments of cops in America in the United States um, as very different from those living in Egypt. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, to start with, let me give you a little bit more background about Dr. Lukasik. Candace was born in 1989. She actually recently uh, celebrated her birthday. And she was born in a predominantly po Polish-American suburb of Buffalo, New York, to a Roman Catholic family and attended Catholic school until 8th grade, was confirmed in the Catholic Church and was an altar server until she was 15. Growing up, Candace was very interested in the mystical experience of rituals and the saints and seriously contemplated becoming a nun when she was 12. She attended a public high school and drifted away from the church. Her faith was certainly weakened, especially after her parents' divorce. At 17, that was in 2007, 
Can this apply successfully for an Arabic language scholarship to study in Cairo for six weeks and attend at the Kalimat Center in Mohandesin, a suburb of Cairo, and stayed with the host family in Gisr Suez? She became quite close with a Coptic host family in the Masakin Sheraton area, not far from the airport, and attended her first Coptic liturgy with them. Although Candace could not understand what was being said, yet she finally reconnected with the spirituality she had held dear at 12 years old. When she came back to the U.S., she began attending St. Mary and St. Moses Coptic Orthodox Church in Buffalo, New York, while she started classes at Canisius College, a Jesuit institution. Each summer of college, as well as a year study abroad at American University in Cairo, she returned to Egypt. Eventually, in 2012, Candace was baptized in Shubra, Egypt. Every year since 2007, she returned to Egypt each summer, learning more Arabic and more about the church, visiting monasteries and churches. Over time, Candace became more intellectually interested in Coptic history and present conditions in Egypt. So she decided to pursue an MA in the Middle Eastern, South Asian, and African Studies Department at Columbia University to explore these interests. In 2012, she spent nine months in Cairo studying the emergence of Coptic political movements like the Maspero Youth Union, Shabab Maspero, after the 2011 Egyptian Revolution. From there, Candace decided to go even deeper in her studies and entered the PhD program in Sociocultural Anthropology at UC Berkeley under the advisement of Professor Saba Mahmoud and Charles Hirschkind, preeminent anthropologists of Egypt. Initially, she hoped to pursue a project on the relationship between the church and youth after the revolution, spending the summers of 2013 to 2015 mainly at the cathedral complex at the specialized courses offered by the youth bishopric under the guidance of Bishop Musa. Candace wanted to keep her professional work in Egypt separate from her spiritual life in the church in the U.S. However, due to shifting conditions in Egypt, she decided to pursue a transnational project, bringing together the questions she had asked in the Egyptian context with the different Coptic life worlds she was encountering in places like New York and New Jersey and in Northern California. Eventually, Candace's PhD research mainly focused on the convergences and divergences of transnational Coptic life between Egypt and the United States. The particular religious and political challenges this has posed on communities and on the church. What she is mainly interested in thinking about is the effects of migration, American political interest, and racial-religious difference between these two landscapes. This is quite the journey, actually, that you have been on thus far, Candace, and certainly 
sets the scene for our conversation today. And let us take a short break and we'll be right back. So Copts and Race in America is certainly an interesting subject that you have focused on in your research and studies. And it brings to my mind many questions, particular incidents and views. For example, after 9-1-1 on September 15, 2001, Adil Karas, a 48-year-old Coptic Christian and father of three, was shot and killed at his convenience store in San Gabriel, California, most likely mistaken for a Muslim by his perpetrators. The second bizarre incident is one that you have mentioned previously of a young Copt visiting the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. and was arrested for no reason and interrogated by the FBI. Again, another case of stereotyping and mistaken identity. I'm sure you will touch on this sad situation today. I also wonder, however, how Americans and politicians in D.C. in particular viewed the Copts. Did they consider us a single-issue race, meaning that we are only interested in the plight of the Copts in Egypt? Or is this view changing and Copts now are more involved in many issues concerning wider American society? I would be interested to hear uh, your views on this. One other interesting issue rotates around the identity of American Copts, particularly those of the second and third generations. For example, we have the classical case of Rami Malik, who won the Best Actor Academy Award last year. Malik is the son of Coptic immigrants to the U.S., yet seems to have lost his identity or, or at least feels ambiguous about it. He grew up in L.A. and notes, quote, We grew up surrounded by a Latin community, a Filipino community, African-Americans, everything, Asians, end of quote. He no longer defines himself as following Coptic faith, and yet Copts were very quick to claim him as their own. Yet, as you mentioned in your article on public orthodoxy, quote, despite excitement from members of the Arab-American community in the United States, Egyptians and others throughout the Middle East, many Coptic Christians, particularly in the United States, took issue with labeling Rami Arab or Arab-American, end of quote. So how do you think about this issue? I know it's a lot to, to take in, um, but in a moment we'd love to hear some of your responses. How do young American Copts today view themselves and their identity? Where does faith fit in when they think of their identity when they are living in a world with so many different cultures and beliefs, as is the case of Rami Malik, for example? So let us take a short break and begin tackling some of these thorny matters. So uh, perhaps, Candice, you could begin by addressing some of these questions before we talk about some more important matters. Candice? Absolutely, Saidna, and thank you again for having me. 
Um, I'll start with your first question uh, as it pertains to thinking about um, how kind of Americans and politicians in D.C. Um, think about cops kind of vis-a-vis um, their positionality in like wider American society. So I just want to say like, generally that um, like the politicization of cops by um, folks in Washington, D.C. You know, constructs them, meaning uh, cops in Egypt, as a persecuted group. Um, and in my opinion, kind of serving like larger American ideological strategies of saving um, Christians, particularly in the Middle East. Um, and cops figure into this framing, um, as we've mentioned before in our conversations. Um, so, but this does not, that framing does not take away from the very real uh, discrimination and structural oppression cops uh, in Egyptian society face. Um, but American engagement with this particular context to the Egyptian context um, entrenches, in my view, um, the idea of cops as protected by the West and not as indigenous people of Egypt because of um, their connection to the United States. And this is a conversation that has happened in Egypt for many, many years, um, even under the British colonial regime. So, but ultimately, we must ask ourselves kind of in what ways has Western intervention in Egypt protected uh, the cops when someone like my very dear friend, uh, Rami Kamen, uh, who is part of the Mispira Youth Union um, and a Coptic rights activist, um, languishes in Egyptian prison um, under charges of terrorism at the moment. Um, so that being said, um, I'm not sure if the DC picture kind of like will shift um, in the current moment, although to be fair, there are folks there that are working towards that. Um, but cops are indeed more involved in many other issues in American society, aside from advocacy for the persecuted church, from community organizing like that of Lydia Youssef and the Al Mahabba Center in Nashville, to grassroots anti-racist activism, for example, like the Coptic Canadian History Project's call for uh, solidarity after the murder of George Floyd earlier this year, um, or the Oriental Orthodox Solidarity Project which uh, start, was started by Coptic uh, women earlier this year after the murder of George Floyd, um, as well as NGOs, you know, like Coptic orphans, those in, involved in, in the law. American cops are an integral part of American society and not simply waiting to return back to Egypt, but forging a new landscape and diaspora. So that being said, you know, just a quick comment about Rami, uh, Rami Malik. Um, so, you know, many cops took issue with the fact that he was labeled Arab by Amer Arab American outlets, as well as outlets throughout the Middle East. And um, this was because, obviously, it, it the, the identity of Arab have homogenizes many different, the multiplicity of identities from the, from the region, from the Middle East, and kind of erases the particularity um, and the struggles in the historical context of Coptic life. Um, but this is also done with other communities as well, including Armenian communities and the Syrian communities, too, from the Middle East. Um, but I will say, though, that uh, the argument uh, against Rami Malik being uh, labeled as Arab kind of also points to ways that uh, cops and other uh, folks like Armenians and Assyrians, um, other Middle Eastern Christians, try to kind of separate themselves from Arabs and Muslims to not be caught up in post 9-11 surveillance. And this gets to the mentioning of um, the incident at the Museum of the Bible, et cetera. Um, so I'll, I'll leave my answer there for now. 
Thanks very much for that. So let's go uh, a bit deeper into some more uh, matters. For example, how has the influx of new Coptic immigrants to the United States intersected with discussions of racism within American society? Absolutely. So, you know, let's kind of um, do a, a, a deep dive into the example of the Museum of the Bible. So for those of uh, our viewers that, you know, have not heard of this, um, in uh, early 2019, uh, a man by uh, the name of Romani uh, went to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. The Museum of the Bible um, is funded by um, an evangelical Christian family. Um, and when he went there, he was um, profiled um, uh, questioned by uh, police there, uh, and they labeled him as kind of a threat um, and a possible terrorist threat and referred him to um, the FBI. Um, the FBI opened a case file, a counterterrorism case file against him. Romani uh, at the time um, was an, a Coptic asylum seeker, and obviously with the opening of this case file, this threatened his, his case, his asylum case. So we see in this in this incident, how Romani, uh, even being a Coptic Christian uh, at the Museum of the Bible, uh, where there are Coptic fragments and many Coptic treasures, mm. um, that uh, he was labeled um, a terrorist, a possible threat. Um, and so when we think about that and think about um, how cops are understood differently in American society, whether uh, understood as Arab slash Muslim and as a threat, um, or uh, identified as a racial other in general, uh, we see that um, that that can produce real um, real problems for for the Coptic community. Yeah, so you know we we see a, a little bit of this and what happened this year and previously with Black Lives Matter. So it's uh, how do you think that some of these issues can be resolved in American society? Yeah, I think that that is that's a very hard question, Saidna. Um, I think one of the most important things that we can do is educate ourselves, um, not only as as white people like myself, but um, as part of a um, you know a church like the Coptic Orthodox Church. Um, how we can think about uh, racism in American society um, as not only affecting um, uh, black folks, but also affecting our communities as well, right? So just because somebody within the Coptic community hasn't experienced uh, personal racism, that doesn't mean that others have not in the case of Romani, in the case of Azul Karas, and many others. Um, and other Middle Eastern Christians in the United States have experienced uh, discrimination. Uh, for example, in 1929, um, uh, some Syrian Christian immigrants uh, were uh, lynched by the KKK in Florida. Um, that Those were known as the Rami lynchings. Um, and I encourage uh, my viewers to look, um, look up that incident uh, because of the fact that just, just, just because they're Christian does not mean that they were. Uh, excluded from discrimination, racial discrimination, and murder uh, in American society. And these are important uh, historical facts that we need to, to take seriously. Most definitely. If you could send uh, me a link 
to that incident so that we can put it in the show notes would be very helpful for our viewers and listeners. Thank you, Candace. So how do American cops you have interacted uh, with racially identified? How are they identified in the United States? Can you provide a, a bit of historical background on Middle Eastern Christians, immigration, and the U.S. racial system? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, many cops, uh, and there's been, a, uh, uh, I think, two campaigns in 2000 and 2010 um, for cops to identify racially as Coptic. Um, and I, feel, I think that both of those campaigns um, that were uh, kind of publicized were in the, the Los Angeles Diocese. Um, and so there, there's been kind of that movement. Uh, there are many cops that, um, you know, might check white and then put Egyptian after it or check other and then put Egyptian after it. Um, there's a variety of different ways that cops, you know, identify. And it really depends on the kind of geographical location of them in the United States. Are they in the South? Are they in the Northeast? Are they in Southern California, et cetera? Um, so one of the things that I want to emphasize, though, in this, in in the Coptic interaction with the American racial system is that historically, you know, whiteness being white was necessary for citizenship in the U S. Um, and that was a means to exclude freed, uh, freed slaves, um, from citizenship. So, uh, and from kind of, uh, representation. And so one of, uh, a couple of Supreme court cases, uh, uh, tried to kind of outline this for Middle Eastern Christian populations. So for example, uh, in Dow versus the United States in 1915, uh, Syrians uh, were identified as white. And subsequently in 1925, in the United States uh, versus Cartosian, um, uh, anthropologist Franz Boaz testified that Armenians in that case, uh, like the defendant, were white because of their European origin, quote unquote. Uh, and this particular connection of Christianity to whiteness also lent itself uh, in 1943, when Arab Muslims were understood to be white because of their connection to their Christian uh, brothers and sisters in the Middle East. And so kind of whiteness is also connected to, re to religious identity. So when we think about um, the kind of classification of cops uh, racially in the United States, we also have to take into account their religious identity as well. Mm, that's very, very interesting. Um, so moving on from that, Copts have been the interest of American religious groups, politicians, and Washington, D.C. policy analysts. How has this interest intersected with everyday Coptic interactions within American society? So how do people recognize a Copt? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, and I think that, as kind of indicated before, uh, you know, how is a cop easily recognizable without, you know, even them saying, okay, well, I'm a, you know, a, a Christian from Egypt. Um, but even before that, how they are racially interpolated, how they are understood, really depends on the particular community that they live in, uh, the folks that they interact with, right? Um, so, for example, you know, obviously in, in places like Nashville, Tennessee, um, where there are many uh, uh, working class cops, who work alongside um, African-American folks and uh, Latinx folks, um, et cetera, they might be uh, understood to uh, be parallel to these particular communities. 
Um, and so I think it really, you know, depends on the communities that, that cops find themselves in. You know, I would say that uh, the particular narrative in D.C. of the cops is kind of a homogenous um, group, um, whether it be in Egypt or in the United States or between those two sites, um, doesn't lend itself to really the diversity of the Coptic experience, both um, in terms of class and its intersections with race in the United States. Um, and, you know, especially cops from the kind of upper classes, uh, more professional classes in the pressures to assimilate into, into whiteness, to change their names, to change the way they dress, to change uh, how they speak about their faith even. Um, these are all uh, important factors. Mm. I mean, even myself, yes, we as a traditional church and the way that we are vested as Orthodox is, is still a bit weird and strange for Americans to see. I mentioned on my Facebook page last year when I was going to Starbucks and was stopped by a couple of young people and uh, they were thinking that I'm dressed in uh, one of the characters of a popular game that young people <laughs> play here in the in in the U.S. and and around the world, so uh, it's all very interesting how we uh, will be able to deal with all of these situations. But I actually stopped and had a good chat with them and explained mm -hmm. who I was, where I'm from, what my role is in the church, and so on. Can you? If I, if yeah. I, if I could interject, say it now. One of you know, you bring up a great point. Yeah. So that was that was a an um, an interaction of you know, of, of conversation. But a lot of the time, if we're talking about clerical vestments in the U.S. and how uh, Coptic clergy are perceived within American society, especially with the Black Galabea, um, there is, you know, a way that they are not really read to be Christian in yes. many ways. So, uh, you know, particularly after 9-11, and I'm sure any clergy watching this from New York, New Jersey, or to L.A., know very well that um, they had to make maybe some adjustments to yeah. the way that they dressed, um, what kind of cross they wore, um, maybe not wearing the amma uh, or, you know, the, the priestly um, uh, head garb. Um, and so, you know, these are also elements to how the American racial landscape has made us change, uh, like our, our church community change. That's true. You know, even... You know, with many of the priests wearing a, a very clear cross, you know, around their necks. But many times the cross is not even recognized uh, that this person must be Christian. So it's a very diverse culture from many, many different nations, the big melting pot, as they call it. So uh, it is very difficult. Um mm -hmm. Can you speak uh, about new ways Copts are forming relationships with different communities in the United States? For example, um, <coughs> other Oriental Orthodox churches, um, other working class communities, uh, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start actually with the Oriental Orthodox uh, churches. You know, so what is really uh, great um, about uh, the context that we come together in as, as these different churches is that this is really one of the first times in our history where we're able to physically like be 
you know, in communion with one another um, and in conversation with one another. Um, obviously, this is different in different geographies of the United States, um, but it really has offered a way to form community. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Oriental Orthodox Solidarity Project, which focuses on anti-racism within um, our church communities, has really brought together, um, you know, Ethiopian, Eritrean, Malankara, Syriac, um, uh, Armenian, Coptic uh, brothers and sisters to kind of talk about this problem within our communities. Um, so that has been uh, one of the ways that the United States has offered a different perspective than being in Egypt, where being in Egypt, you know, the, the main interlocutor for many Copts are Muslims, right? And so that kind of constructs what uh, type of, kind of cultural background and community is formed. Um, but I will also mention in particular to my research that, um, you know, many Copts, as well as other immigrant communities, Egyptian Muslims, uh, come together and work at, you know, various, um, you know, uh, um, various occupations, like working at gas stations or food carts, um, where they interact with uh, a variety of different communities that they, you know, maybe had not interacted with in Egypt um, and are coming to be in conversation with in the United States. Um, one of the things that I do want to mention, too, as well, in places like Nashville or Des Moines, Iowa, where there are com Coptic communities, um, is their work at factories, uh, for example, the Tyson factory. Um, where they interact with um, a number of different, you know, working class uh, folks. Um, and so this produces like a different type of um, understanding of identity, racial identity, but also community. Um, and this is, I think, a very important part for us to understand the diversity of Coptic experience um, in the United States. I think that's very important. And I think for the church in general here in, in America, that they are now interacting more with the, with the wider American society. So, for example, uh, in the ecumenical realm. So mm -hmm. the church here is involved with the National Council of Churches. When I was a general bishop in, in New York, we had many important meetings um, on a national level with a variety of uh, Christian denominations. Um, here now, for example, His Eminence Metropolitan Serapion is establishing a, a new department called Church and Society, uh, and mm. how our voice as a church uh, can impact some of the general discussions and debates that are taking place uh, in the wider American community with different uh, faiths, even with the, the Muslim community, with the Sikhs, with the Hindus, um, on many, many different levels. And uh, so this will be very exciting if this department uh, gets off the ground. And uh, I think a lot of important interactions uh, can take place there. Absolutely. Mm. So th thank you for answering all of these questions, Candice. It's been fascinating. But we also have a question from one of our viewers, and that is... Uh, Thomas Simsarian Dolan. Is he Armenian? Yes. Okay. But I was put off by the last name Dolan because that does not sound Armenian. Well, I'm sure Thomas will explain, but <laughs> okay. yes, he's Armenian. We'll call him in a moment. So he is a PhD candidate in American Studies at George Washington University, focusing on Middle Eastern diaspora and race. 
and he is a recent recipient of the Kaluste Gulbenkian Global Excellence Scholarship. Thomas is an alumnus of the New York University, the New Schools Institute for Critical Social Inquiry, and Yale University. Uh, Thomas has also served as a visiting researcher at Doha Institute for Graduate Studies and has published in the academic journal Mashrik and Mahjar, Huffington Post, Muftah, Arab America, Howl Round, among others. So we're going to uh, call Thomas and uh, we will be right back. Hello, Thomas. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Can you hear me? Wonderful. Welcome to the podcast, and it's a pleasure to have you with us today. And I know you have an important question for Candice, so please go ahead. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so I'm reminded as you were talking um, of the Armenian experience in the U.S. as well as kind of the Armenian experience across the world in that you know, many scholars, myself included, now talk about Armenian diasporas in the plural, as opposed to there being a singular one. And I bring that up because it means that Armenian communities that converge in the United States are bringing with them kind of very, very different understandings of race, and particularly their place within societies, you know, from national minorities um, in the former Soviet context, um, minorities or, you know, kind of implicated within the sectarian fabric of the Middle East, or Turks in Latin America, um, and then initially Oriental uh, and then white in the United States context. So for Candace, I'm wondering, how does religious difference in Egypt relate to the experience of racial difference in the United States? And why does it matter you know, for understanding of political orientation here? Candace? Thank you so much, Thomas. Yeah, yeah thank you so much, Thomas. Uh, it's really um, a joy to be in conversation with you. Um, and Likewise. yeah, yeah, I, and especially because, you know, the Armenian experience in the United States, um, and particularly, you know, um, interactions between Copts and Armenians of late in thinking about theological education has been very, um, important, um, for, for my thinking as well. Um, and so just to answer your question, um, some of the, the ways Copts relate to Muslims in the U.S., um, I will say in particular, um, is not only a product of American society or, you know, let's say kind of anti-Muslim racism here, um, but there are particular legacies of trauma from discrimination and oppression in Egyptian society that travel to the U.S. Um, that impacts upon the ways cops here experience, uh, like their relations uh, with other Muslims in different communities. So like, I just want to flag that because, um, you know, I think that that's very important for how cops also understand um, and read different political situations in the U.S. Um, but also, I, I do want to say that, and we've spoken about this, Thomas, as well um, before, that there's a way that the Coptic experience and its particularities is um, is erased or, you know, eschewed uh, uh, in many discussions of kind of whether it be Arab American studies or Middle Eastern studies. And because of that, um, there's a way that cops are um, not brought into conversations uh, as much as they, as they should as cops, not simply as Arabs or um, as, you know, Middle Eastern people. 
So, you know, that being said, like the Christianity of cops here has certainly impacted upon political orientation, whereby folks feel connected to the cultural agendas, maybe of the Christian right, um, and especially when their Christianity, and this is very important, is not taken seriously by those on the left or the particularity of their identity as cops, right? Um, and so this has been kind of maybe detrimental to different ways that, that cops can be in conversation with other uh, communities that face similar um, dilemmas and issues. Um, so uh, thank you very much for that question. No, thank you. That's, that's great. Really, really fascinating and illuminating for me. Th thanks very much, Thomas. And I wanted to ask you, I uh, uh, was a bit confused by your last name. So Thomas Simsarian <laughs> Dolan. So Dolan does not sound Armenian to me. <laughs> no, you are, you are correct there. Yeah, no, so um, I actually also have, uh, my father is an uh, Irish and Polish Catholic, and my mother is uh, Armenian. Okay. Um, so I have a, a bit of both in my, in my name. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, well th thanks very much, Thomas, for your question and your insights. And I wish you every success with the completion of your PhD. How long to go? I'm actually in the home stretch, so it's really, I hope just a couple more months, but Excellent. I appreciate your well wishes. I need them. <laughs> oh, wonderful. We, we've all been through the process, so we know what you're going through at the moment, and uh, uh, I hope it will be a, a successful completion. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. We'll see you again soon. So thanks also, Candice, for uh, uh, your response to that question, indeed for taking the time uh, for this very interesting conversation today, which I'm sure will continue to be discussed in many circles into the future. Um, and we wish you every success in all of your future endeavors. So thank you, you for so that. Much, thank yeah. you. Yeah. We'll take a short break and we'll come back for our conclusion. So as you could see today, that there are many factors involved when discussing Copts and race in America and how we navigate carefully how Copts view themselves in this land as well as how the U.S. views us. How do we as Copts become fully involved in all aspects of American life? How do Copts effectively engage in the wider American community and not live isolated as we look forward to the next 50 years. These and many more questions need to be developed further, and perhaps you would like to consider these during the upcoming week. And let us pray this week that we may not stereotype people and profile people also, and deal with all people with love, with kindness, and equally. Let us pray that we learn not to discriminate against people by race or by the color of their skin or their status in the community or by any other means. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. And again, I want to thank Candace for this fascinating discussion. Uh, and we look forward to, I'm sure, that our past will meet again and there will be more fascinating talks uh, about this whole uh, discussion about immigration, about race, and all uh, of these matters. 
Until next week, stay safe and well and be inspired by the Holy Spirit. Be sure to tune in next week when His Grace will be discussing volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity in our world today. This episode will be titled, Dealing with Stress in a VUCA World. Don't miss out on learning more about this stimulating conversation over a cup of coffee. To join the conversation, you can visit our website, coffeewithbishopsuriel.org. And don't forget, after you listen, you could really help out by rating the show. Thank you for listening to Coffee with Bishop Suriel, a podcast for all things Coptic. To join the conversation, please visit our website, coffeewithbishopsoriel.org. And always remember, the best way to start any morning is with God and a cup of coffee.